Wow, uh, it is an awesome and sweet providence of God that uh, allows Beth and me to be here this weekend to have this time with you. I'm so glad that Dominic Fodi kept our Hannah here in Brevard County so that when we come to visit them and uh, their four sons, our four grandsons, that we also, from time to time, get to share in the uh, covenant family and what God is, is doing here. Uh, I'm here today with Beth. Uh, she's in the back row with her sister Holly and our youngest daughter Sharon and uh, Hannah and her family are here as well. So we're thrilled to have them join us. It uh, blew me away when I looked back and realized that it had been six years since I last spoke at this church. I thought it was like three or four years ago. Uh, I looked at that. Wow, it's been six years. Uh, so I figured I'll just preach the same sermon. Everybody's forgotten it, right? <laughs> Uh, and it was six years before that that some of you were here um, uh, to hear my last sermon as pastor of, of this church. It was great to hear Ron and see the video. Thank you to all those who did that. It was interesting, Ron, you talked about the first meeting of the Presbytery of Central Florida. I was 19 years old. I set up the chairs for that first meeting uh, held in Ocala, Florida at that time as my spiritual father, Jimmy Young, was one of those five young pastors that were appointed to start churches in this, in this area. Because uh, Sundays are, for me, a, a work day, it's not very often that I get to be here on the Lord's Day to be in this place. But this flock is always on our minds and in our hearts and in our prayers. Now, many have asked, and some will ask, uh, how, how we are doing, and the honest answer to that is that we are doing very, very well. We're in our 10th year, about halfway through our 10th year, at uh, North Park Church in Wexford, Pennsylvania, on the uh, north hills of the Pittsburgh area. Our church is in a very healthy place. In fact, I'd say it's probably the healthiest it's been in the last decade, and we're rejoicing in that. Some of you are aware and have been in prayer for us as it's been an eventful year. Our youngest daughter, Sharon, uh, gave birth to a little boy at the end of May. And uh, since she is single, she lovingly entrusted that boy, our 12th grandchild, through adoption to a young pastor in the Pittsburgh area and to his family. Sharon and Israel are both doing very, very well. And so we rejoice in the Lord's mercies in this year. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 will be our text this morning. Just one verse, but we're going to read it in two translations. My heart language is the New American Standard Version, which was put in my hands when I became an 18-year-old student of the Bible, and so it's still my heart translation today. And in that version, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil or your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In recent years, my wife and Dr. Futado have convinced me that the New Living Translation is an okay thing to use. So I want to quote that one as well. It says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the language of affection, and I feel that today, maybe even more than Paul did with respect to the Corinthian church, words 
of tenderness from a pastor, yes, but largely from a member of the family of God. That's what the church is. Not all so-called churches really function as families, but the real church is the family of the living God, constituted by relationships between brother and brother, sister and sister, and sister and brother. And from the outset, Covenant Presbyterian Church was exactly that. I was so very favored as a young pastor that Beth and I came to this place with our little boy to a church family that received us with tremendous affection and tremendous care and much patience. United under one father now for over 40 years, Covenant Presbyterian Church has been a place to love and to be loved, a place to connect with each other in caring community. I love how Paul writes this letter, not so much as a theologian for an academic audience, but he writes as a pastor, as a brother to a flock for which he deeply cared. You know, this, this letter to the Corinthians is a letter that he ends by urging the members of the Corinthian church to greet each other with a holy kiss. And I thought, on this special occasion, <laughs> it would be really great if we could honor Paul's request by... by you're wondering if I'm really going to go there, aren't you? <laughs> I got you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to leave it for Jerry to uh, teach about and encourage the holy kiss. In fact, I think a series of sermons on holy kissing would be in order. <laughs> uh, but for today, I just want you to give each other a, uh, a holy kiss a holy fist bump. A, a fist bump of deep affection. Go ahead, go ahead, do it. Go ahead, reach out to one another. Fist bumps. In fact, stand, would you, and do it. Give each other and those around you a fist bump of affection. <laughs> All right, enough already. Have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. But seriously, few people in our society know what it's like to be in a church family. And oh, it is so, so rich. Beth and I had a couple over for dinner a few weeks back, been around our church for a few months. They'd never been in a Protestant evangelical church context before. And, uh, and, and I, I desired, I told them that I desired for them, among other things, that they would discover the beauty and the sweetness the security and the strength that is found in being a part of a church that is a spiritual family. Thank God the covenant has been that is such a family where we can say dear brothers and sisters. Well, next in our text, the apostle says, be strong and immovable. Another word used there is steadfast and immovable. And what is suggested by this is that the enemies of the church, they are powerful. And like that big bad wolf in the story, they will seek to huff and puff and blow your spiritual house down. And if they can't do that, they're going to try to get you to move. They're going to try to get you to shift, to give up ground. So you better have a house made out of 
Bricks made out of strong stuff residing on a solid foundation, a firm foundation, ye saints of the Lord. And the key to being steadfast and immovable is to have that rock-solid grounding in the truth of God's Word that never, ever changes. When I came to Melbourne in 1982, our church did not have a a big campus with multiple fantastic buildings like you have now, with a terrific music program like you have now, and a church on the beach like you have now. We had 18 pews that would seat about 84 people, and there was a window air conditioning unit that was uh, frankly kind of loud. And we had no website then. Imagine how, how, I don't know how people found us. We had no school, we had no youth group, we had no staff, but here is what we did have then, just like you have now, no better now than we had then. We had the Word of the living God. So say this with me, Isaiah 40, verse 8. Read it with me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. And if you as an individual or if Covenant Church as a congregation are going to stand in the midst of all the storms raging around us in this crazy culture in which we now live, our standing must be on the firm foundation, ye saints of the Lord, that is laid for our faith in His excellent Word. It grieves me that one of our nation's most influential pastors recently said that we are mistaken to think that God's Word is the foundation of our religion, our faith, that we are mistaken to teach our children that Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. It was people who believed that God's Word must be the foundation who started this church 43 or so years ago. It was why they applied to this particular denomination known for its convictions about the inerrancy of Scripture and our confidence in what will happen at Covenant Presbyterian Church over the next 40 years is found where? It is found right here that this Word loved and taught, read and followed It will survive every satanic lie and every wind of cultural change until Jesus returns. Brethren, I believe this of you, that you will continue steadfast, built on the rock of God's Word. Now, you may do ministry differently than we did it back in 1982. The music may be different than it was in 1982. That's okay. In matters of style, you can go with the current, but in matters of principle, we must stand like a rock. Steadfast immovable. Let's go to the next phrase. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, or as the NLT puts it, always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Now let's face it. The sad truth is that there are churches, there's people, there's denominations that have done well at standing on the rock of God's Word, but they haven't done so well at abounding in the work of the Lord. Not so here. Not so here. Local ministry, international mission, compassionate outreach, evangelism, 
political engagement, have all marked Covenant Presbyterian Church. Praise God, it is His faithfulness has been expressed in your faithfulness. Just these buildings and grounds testify to the enthusiasm and sacrifice of thousands of people through the decades. Now, hey, I think I want to come back to this point in just a few minutes, but uh, let's go ahead and move on to the last phrase of our text. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It is not, it is not in vain. Oh my, I had uh, one of those moments recently, our church in Pennsylvania is near a KFC, and uh, so I stopped in one day, and I put in my order, and the guy behind the counter says, do you want your free drink? And I said, my free drink? What do you mean? He goes, well, uh, here, seniors over 60 get a free drink. (laughs) And and I'm thinking, uh, he didn't even ask for an IB, you know. He just assumed this guy, he, he has to be over 60. So I got a sweet tea and some time to reflect. <laughs> As you get older, it's easy to look back and to consider the things you did, things you worked hard on, things you sacrificed for, some of which seemingly have come to naught. A business you sought to build, a child in whom you invested so much, a ministry you loved, a political movement you had hoped would make a difference in the world, and you end up quoting Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And and there are truly few sadder feelings than, than that, the realization that all of your efforts, all of your investments, all of your sacrifices, they've come to nothing, useless In a fallen world, there is no way to avoid the sadness of vanity altogether. It is part of the fall. The ground is cursed. Sometimes, you know, the rains come and the pests stay away and you have a bumper crop, but other times not not so much. It hurts when that happens. The vanities of life can, can suck the joy and the energy out of us. And we feel like dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. But Paul steps up here and he, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 and he says to us, there is no vanity, there is no uselessness, there is no wasted time, there is no wasted effort, there's no wasted prayers, there's no wasted stress, there's no wasted money in serving the Lord, the King. The entire chapter before our text today stands behind Paul's conclusion. What is 1 Corinthians 15? Well, it's the resurrection chapter. It's all about how Jesus was raised from the dead and about the promise of God that we who trust in Him will one day be raised as well. This life is not all there is, he concludes. Therefore, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But that will last. It will stand. It will never be useless. Your investments will pay eternal dividends. Forty years of labor for Jesus in Brevard County have not been in vain. Do you hear that, Brad Moore? Do you hear that, Jim Grimes? Ray Buchanan? 
T.J. Talley, Earl Atwood, Logan Owen, Scott and Jean Lynn, Henry Decker, Jim and Betty. Brothers and sisters, I mention those names for, for our sake, not theirs. They now know. They have passed through to the other side, and, and they have learned without a doubt that their labors here for Jesus, they were not useless. And I speak for them to you today, to you who continue at covenant, to others who have moved on or moved away. And I ask, do you, do you hear this? Melinda, do you hear this, Marion Leggett? Ron and Martha, Bruce and Elena, Maurice and Joanne, Bob and Connis, Pat and Leah, Jim and Sherry, Jane Brown, Bob Brown, Beverly Brown, Barry Brown. Phil and Judy, Stan and Melanie, Dana and Joy, David and Karen, Brad and Tara, Hugh and Linda, and I'll mention a few who stay, have been around a long time, like John and Janice and Tim and Esther and Dick and Sissy, was all that you have devoted to this church, to this ministry here, was all of your giving and all of your time and all of your financial support and all of your prayers, useless! Was it vain? Oh, God forbid. Oh, God forbid. No, it was not in vain. It is not in vain. No, it will never be in vain. As Jesus lives, so too will your faith and the fruit of it manifest, manifest in this church and in the eternal life of so many touched by her word and by her work. So you continue on in this work. What, what does this mean for you? Well, back to the previous uh, phrase, always work enthusiastically for the Lord. You know, my, my parents divorced when I was in high school, and I lived for four years, just my mother and I. And uh, then I went off to the University of Florida, and while I was gone, my mother moved. But I found her. <laughs> And uh, when I walked into the uh, condominium that she had bought, I, I was rather taken aback. I, I'd go in and there was red shag carpet. Now, I don't mean uh, dull red. I mean red, red. I, red shag carpeting. Uh, in her living room, there was this red velour sofa. There were red beaded lamps hung on each side of the sofa. And, and there was a little remote control light thing, you could uh, dim the lights up and down. And we nicknamed it the Passion Pit. <laughs> Passion, it's one of those funny words that has a lot of different meanings, doesn't it? I mean, it comes from the Greek term passus, or the Latin term passus, I should say, which means to endure or to suffer. If you go to a passion play, you expect to see a depiction of our Lord's crucifixion. But the word passion has come to refer to really any kind of strong feeling or emotion. And almost anybody or everybody is going to be passionate about something. You will either be passionate about your 
loves or you will be passionate about your lust. Think about that. You'll either be passionate about your lust or passionate about your loves. And what I mean is this, if there is nothing in your life about which you really care, over which you are passionate, then there is little hope of ever conquering your own lust. We usually think that a person Oh, they can overcome addictions just by trying a little harder, but there's more to it than that. Where, where there is no higher calling, then we will always return to our baser motives. Thomas Chalmers was the Scottish preacher who several centuries back preached a famous sermon entitled The Expulsive Power of a New Affection in which he argued that even though you can see the vanity of, your, of pursuing your lust, you'll be unsuccessful in dropping them unless you can replace them with new holy passions. Truly, if there is nothing holy or pure or good that has captured your heart and become the focus of your energies, then, then my friend, you will live for your lust, however civilized or uncivilized those lusts happen to be. And those lusts will bring you into bondage. They will. Well, one of the keys to escaping that bondage and entering into a quality of life that is worthy of the name life is to refocus your affections, your passions, your energies on that which is good. You all know Acts 20, 35, even though you may not know it. That's the verse in which it says it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is a profound concept indicating that real happiness is not found in satisfying your lust, but in serving and giving and loving. And, and you know, I, I look around this room and I, I'm so grateful to God for you. So many of you here I know are not living for your lust. You are living a life that is given away, that is given away in response to the grace of Jesus and from the fullness that He alone is able to offer to one's soul. So what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about today? What really gets you stirred up? Is it something, that, uh, is it something worthy? Something worthy of your passion? You know, the Bible does not use the word passion, at least not in most of the translations, but it does use another word that essentially means the same thing, and, and that would be the word zeal. Zeal. Uh, zeal could be ardor, fervor, enthusiasm, passion, zeal. It's an intense longing and concern that engages the emotions, compels the will. Genuinely happy people, they are zealous people. Now, I want to show you something. This is my all-time favorite ad from a magazine back when we used to read magazines. It is for, uh, it is for Uncle Ben's rice. I, 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 I don't know. We didn't get the whole picture. There's, over here on the far side, there's, I have to read it for you, I guess. Uh, and, and it says, indulge. It says, stir up. The, the ad says it got clipped off. In the, this is my fault, I'm sure. It says, stir up some passion with Uncle Ben's. <laughs> this is a rice ad, okay? <laughs> Think about this. It's not an ad for perfume, a vacation in Bermuda. This is a rice ad. Stir up some passion with Uncle Ben's. And then it says, indulge your passion for the finer things in life with Uncle Ben's rice dishes. 
Just dawned on me, by the way, that our grandsons here in Melbourne, they have an Uncle Ben. And uh, I'm thankful that he's about more than just rice, you know? (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that there are some things more worthy of your passion than rice. But I'm going to take my cue from this ad, and I'm going to ask you to engage your mind and heart with God's Word for a few more minutes and see if you can't stir up some passion with Pastor Dan. To stir us up, I'm going to offer you three reasons why Christians should be marked by passion. You ready for this? Three brief reasons. Let's stir up our zeal by seeing first that zeal is what God wants from us. Romans 12 verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. God God takes no pleasure in servants who are complacent and bored and always worn out. And I know that because he tells us here that he wants us to be zealous and fervent. This is his will. Revelation 3, you know, the passage about the church in Laodicea, that God had problems with them because they were lukewarm. And he says, lukewarm Christians make him want to spit. What it says He said, I'd rather you love me or hate me. The last thing he wants is us to be indifferent toward him. The fact is that, though, that true Christians do go through slumps. We we do. We get in ruts, and maybe maybe you're in one today. Here's God's word to you from Revelation 3:19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore what? Be zealous and repent. We are admonished to get so upset over our lack of zeal that we Renew it by way of repentance. Serving the Lord with zeal. That's what God wants. Secondly, we serve the Lord with zeal because zeal gets things done. It's the zeal of the Lord that moves him to action. 2 Kings 19.31, he says, Out of Jerusalem will will go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9 and verse 7, There will be no no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Zeal gets things done. It's true of God. It's true of God's people. You should know that this church here in Palm Bay was built by men and women of zeal. And when I say church, I refer to the body and the ministry, yes, but I'm also talking about the buildings and the grounds here. None of this was here 40 years ago, but some of the very people you're worshiping with today had a passion. I mean, this was, this was not cheap. The center of ministry that we worship in today flowed from the sacrifices of many, and that came from zeal. There's a congregation meeting in North Melbourne today, a shining light in that community established by this church, showing the way of peace and life to many there. There are several congregations worshiping near Tokyo. I was blessed by the picture of my friend Dan Iverson on the video earlier, and and they're worshiping there because we were able to invest in Dan Iverson and God's call upon his life in that place. And we've been able to do these things and so much more, not because we had a a few very wealthy people who could bankroll the whole deal. No, no, we didn't have that. It was the zeal of many who were willing, who were even glad to sacrifice for things their hearts valued. Zeal gets things done. And thirdly, 
Our hearts will be stirred to zeal when we understand that zeal is what the Lord has for us. Zeal, passion, is what God has for us. He expresses it in what He does for us, the price He paid to to buy us for Himself. The cross testifies of what God thinks about us, how He values us. Someone has written this, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If He had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring. He sends you a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, He listens. He can live anywhere in the universe. He chooses to live in your heart. Face it, friend, he's crazy about you. All that is true if you're his child. God is hot toward us. He is passionate about us. Listen to how he puts it in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That is, that is zeal. That is what our Lord has for us. How can we have anything less for him who loves us so? For him whose mercies are found new every single morning of our lives. For him whose covenant faithfulness is so awesome. In conclusion, I have a couple of things for you to do. If honestly you feel you're without zeal today, then pray. Pray with zeal about your lack of zeal. Here's a couple of uh, prayers that might help us out. One by Charles Wesley. O thou who camest from above the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame, a sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. And this next one is written by Jim Elliott who said this to his brother Bert. For you, brother, I pray that the Lord might crown this year with His goodness and in the coming one give you a hallowed daredevil spirit in lifting up the biting sword of truth, consuming you with a passion that is called by the cultured citizens of Christendom fanaticism, but known to God as that saintly madness that led His Son through bloody sweat and hot tears to agony on a rude cross, and glory. Pray prayers like that for me. Pray prayers like that for your elders and your deacons and your church staff. Pray them for yourself. That's the first thing to do. And second thing to do is to move out now. Whether you feel like it or not, begin to act passionately. Begin to show your colors. Don't wait. Don't sit around saying to yourself, well, I mean, if the Lord makes me zealous, <laughs> if then I'll find something to do for him. There's so much waiting for you now. And God will answer your prayer for zeal as you move, as you go, as you stick out your neck for Him. You don't wait to feel zealous. You don't wait to feel bold or strong to do things for God. You pray, and then you expect to be given zeal as you work, to be given boldness as you speak, to be given strength as you fight. The promises of God are for those who are engaged in the battle. Many valiant warriors have gone before you. Now take up your place in the fight and do not wait. 
So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always abounding in the work. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Lean into that, and good things will get done. You will walk in the joy of the King, and covenant will continue to be a great church whose faithful Lord is pleased and glorified. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank You for this day, for what it represents, for the years of biblical fidelity, for years of fervent praise, tender love, effective outreach. We thank You, Lord, most of all today for Your zeal for us, Your passion for us. And so we ask You to increase our appreciation and comprehension, apprehension of Your zeal that we might imitate You, love You, serve you without growing weary and well-doing, but growing strong as we remember awesome gospel realities, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and the promise and gift of life in His name. Come, Spirit of God, rekindle hope where that's needed. And we pray together that you would make the next decade of life and ministry at Covenant Presbyterian Church of Palm Bay the best the most fervent and the most faithful and the most fruitful yet. And so we pray this in the strong name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.